0: Gift to you. Um, we are so encouraged that we've had to replace those Bibles often in the last number of months because people who do not have them are taking them. Um, Katie, our administrative coordinator, is nodding because that's one of the things that she makes sure we do so that you have a Bible to take home. So um, that's our gift to you. Open up to our reading today. We are in Ephesians chapter 6. So, kind of toward the end of the Bible, there you'll see, toward the end of the New Testament. And we're going to be looking at the context around this, but for our reading here at the beginning, we're going to begin at verse 13. And so join together now as we read Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Thanks be to God. My wife, Alyssa, and I, we we often talk about the the radically different approaches that we need to take in parenting each different stage and season. Our oldest is a teenager. Our youngest is 16 months old. And so, for example, if if I want to get my 16-month-old to eat his peas... It is It is often as, as simple as acting really excited and getting him to get excited too, saying, oh, these peas are so yummy, they're so delicious, eat them. He has no idea that his father can't stand peas. And yet, if I act excited, I can usually convince them at least once. And the same cannot be said for my older kids. If if I get really excited about something that I don't like, they know, they've got this sense, and they're usually asking me, what is really going on? Do you have an ulterior motive here? I'm not sure I buy what it is that you're asking me. And so what we've learned, and I should say what we're learning, is that really honesty with our kids is the best policy because kids have an innate sense of discerning when there's more going on than meets the eye. They 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 know they can sniff it. And and I think the truth is we all can, we all can tell. When there's more going on than what we can see, when there's more going on than what somebody might be saying, and more than meets the eye is what we're talking about today. Today is the second week in our new series we're we're calling Airplane Mode. And and it's really an invitation much like the Airplane Mode app on your phone. If you click that little button on your phone, it'll turn all of the, the communication off, the distractions. And so as we begin the new year, our invitation is to do the same thing with God. To slow down, to be quiet, to turn off the things that are drawing us away from What matters so that we can connect with the one who makes us whole and it's it's based on some themes that we're going to be covering together in a book and the book's title is good and beautiful and kind um, becoming whole in a fractured world by author and pastor Rich Valotis and last week we began this series by getting into and we're going to talk about it more this week and next week the root cause of the fractures that we're facing in our world today. Uh, Now, this book was actually published just this past year, 2022. So in some ways, it is very timely. But in other ways, it's getting us to the root cause of fractures that have been in existence in families and individuals and entire cultures since the beginning of time. And it all boils down to this thing called sin. And the definition that we're working with from the book for sin is this. That sin is ultimately a failure to love. Every sin can be boiled down to this definition as a failure to love. A failure to love can be found in everything in our world that is broken from physically harming someone to being less than honest or quick to judge, and and often when we slow down, often when we're quiet we turn off all the distractions, is it not those moments that we have failed to love that come to our consciousness? We start to think about the things that, that have been weighing shame and guilt on us where we have fallen short. And and that's a good thing because we can bring them before the Lord in a prayer of confession. And confession is good because it gives us an opportunity to to bring before God our mistakes and our shortcomings so that we can see that God's greatest act of love was in sending his son Jesus to pay the price for those things on the cross, to redeem us from them, that we are forgiven. Because, see, just awareness of our shortcomings is not enough to give us the power to walk away from them moving forward. We need forgiveness, and we need grace, and those things are available to you and to me in Jesus. Amen? Someone here needed to hear that this morning, and you didn't need to hear the rest of the sermon, so you can turn it off, because that's the gospel right there. But we're going to go deeper, because what if I told you that that in the face of the evil that we face in our world, there's actually more going on than you think. That this, this sin, this failure to love that we are all guilty of runs deeper than we realize. What if I told you that there is a current that flows in our midst, a current that seeks to draw us out into the abyss and away from the shores of loving God and loving our neighbor. It's a force that, that, that while it affects us on an individual level like an ocean undertow or a rip current, it is so much bigger than us. It is pulling away entire communities and cultures and institutions and governments and families and churches into the dark depths of the sea. Some refer to it as spiritual warfare, powers and principalities, forces of evil. And those are the things that our reading is talking about today. Our our reading comes from the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church in Ephesus. It's a a prominent city on the coast of modern-day Turkey. And Paul is likely writing these words from his own forced airplane mode in prison in Rome. Now, Ephesians is an incredible letter as it gives us practical implications into living in a world that has an element that is beyond this world, that there's more than meets the eye. For example, the words heavenly realms are found five times in just six short Chapters, And if you hear the word heavenly realm, you might out of context start to think that, that the things in the heavenly realms are only a distant thing, that spiritual things are somewhere out there. And yet if you read this book, you'll see that the themes include radical unity being rooted in love, practical instructions in living in relationship as husbands and wives and with our kids and with those with whom we work. And it's all related because what's been revealed to Paul and what he's passing along to us is that there is more going on in our midst than meets the eye. Rich Philotis in his book, in the second chapter, which dives deep into this, he, he begins by sharing a disturbing example from our own nation's history uh, of the countless black men and women who were killed in public lynchings at the, in the hands and, and often in front of watching eyes of people that were considered by the culture otherwise good people, good citizens, even good Christians. Christians. And he asked the question, how can such horrific things take place? When we look at the the horrific examples of sin on a collective and societal level, whether it's racism or sexual abuse that's covered up by trusted institutions or bloodshed and war between nations, you can't help but ask yourself, what is going on? What powers are pulling these people away? And Volodis explains it this way, and I I like how he says it. He said, we're so accustomed to clear evil answers when it comes to pointing out what's wrong with the world. It's the liberals. It's the conservatives. It's the people who put pineapple on their pizza. Does anybody here put pineapple on their pizza? There was a couple at the first service, too, and I scratched my head. But anyway, that's not the point. The the people who, oh, I'm going to read it again, but the (laughs) biblical narrative helps us acknowledge that finding the source of the problem is more complicated than we think. In the biblical story, there are forces outside of ourselves that are somehow wreaking havoc on our lives and seducing us away from the God of love. And and this morning, we don't have time to to do an in-depth Bible study on these examples like the the tempting serpents in the Garden of Eden or the adversary Satan in the book of Job. But we are going to operate under an assumption here that this power is tangible, that this spiritual force is real, even if you don't see it the way that it's often portrayed in the movies with ghosts and spinning heads. We all can see its evidence of its presence. And so the Apostle Paul in our reading today is going to help us prepare to live in a world where this exists and even to face it head on. And to see what he's getting at in the armor of God, we've got to go back a few verses and look at what happens just before our reading. Paul begins in chapter 6, verse 10 by saying, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And that word finally suggests that that these words are connected to whatever he was teaching just before this. And so if you've got your Bible open, you'll see that immediately before this, there are instructions, practical instructions for relationships. And how we are to conduct ourselves between husbands and wives and parents and children and slaves and earthly masters. He uses the term earthly master to describe slave owners because the gospel suggests that these distinctions will fall away. And they already have as we become citizens in the kingdom of God. And so at this moment, he calls those who own slaves to begin living functionally as if they are no longer slaves, but now they are brothers and sisters. He says, don't wait until slavery has been legally abolished in your land. Abolish it in your household today. And I think to myself as I was thinking about that, are there not so many things, right, in our culture and in our world that are deemed to be acceptable that we could say, not in my household. These are things that are not healthy for me and those in whom are following and seeking to follow God. He calls husbands and wives mutually to submit to one another. And this was radical in a culture that was steeped in patriarchy. Children were called to honor their parents, but parents, fathers were called not to exasperate, or I like this other word they use to translate it, and that is to provoke their children, Ephesians 6.4. Now, I have five kids. Please don't ask them, if you see them this morning, does your father follow Ephesians 6.4? Does he ever provoke you? Uh, But the truth is that in in the day uh, of Paul, in, in this place in Ephesus, in this culture, fathers had every right, legally and culturally, to treat their children however they wanted. And what that meant is that there were way too many instances of radical abuse. Husbands lived as if their wives were property. Slave masters literally owned other human beings and considered them um, machines of commercial productivity. And then Jesus came. The Son of God came down from his throne in heaven. And what did he do? He served others. He served the least of these. He touched the untouchable. He washed manure from between the toes of the disciples' feet. He lived the way of love. And when he was asked about all the the law and the prophets and what was the most important, he said that the most important thing is to love God and love others. And if that's true, then, then that should have implications, real implications on everything in our life, from our marriages to the way that we treat our children, to the way that we conduct our business, to how we treat strangers on the street and immigrants in our nation. And yet in order to live in a way, in a world that operates on a completely different set of standards, in a world that is constantly pulling us away from the ways of God, we need more than just willpower. We need more than just individual confession of sin. This is why Paul doesn't say, finally, go and be strong on your own will. After he calls us to be better husbands and wives and parents and children and all of these things, he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power because you can't do it on your own. And neither can I. Friends, there's a rip current out there. And it's constantly threatening to pull us away, which is why Paul shows us that we're not alone in our efforts to be faithful to the ways of Jesus, the ways of love. And he gives us armor to wear as an illustration. Look at verse 11. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh, and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I'll use an example of a battle that is not against flesh and blood that we probably all can relate to. It's January 15th, right? And so it's been two weeks since the beginning of the year. And if the statistics are true, that means that 30% of those of us who have New Year's resolutions have already messed up those resolutions (laughs) at some point. Now, I see some nodding and some smiling. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But but many of us, as we're looking ahead at the New Year, one of the things that we often set out a goal to do is to eat better, right? Right? And, and, and so, so here's the thing, I'm, I'm in that group, right, and so I want to eat better, and I shared with the la- I'm sorry, I shared with the last service we had donuts, I think we're done, I think the donuts are gone, right, I told them to eat the donuts, because I knew that if they didn't eat the donuts, that I would eat the donuts, and I don't want to eat as many donuts in this next year. And so what happens if I walk back into the welcome area after the service and I grab a donut and I look at that donut, is, is my battle against the donuts to not eat the donuts? Is the donut my enemy? Should I chop up the donut and throw it away as if there are not a plethora of donuts all around the world? That is not my enemy. The enemy is deeper than that. And this is an example that we can all relate to, but you've got to ask yourself, if, if we don't even have willpower on our own to stick to a diet with our own strength, then what makes us think that we can stand up against the devil and stand up against systemic evil that exists all around us? We can't. We can't do it on our own. Verse 13, therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, not if, but when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, you will still be able to stand. Now, what is the day of evil? The day of evil is any day that evil comes knocking at your door. We never know what day or what time we're going to be coming up against the powers of evil, and sometimes... It's so insidious that we don't realize that we've actually already been caught up in them. I, I'm, I'm thinking it's January, right? So some of us are looking ahead at, at spring break vacations. How many, how many of you have, have been out uh, swimming in the ocean at some point in your life? Um, so if you're ever out in the ocean and, and you're just floating and it's a beautiful day and the sun is shining and it's warm, have you ever had the experience where you just lose yourself? And suddenly you you look up from your raft or if you're just floating around, you realize that without even knowing it that you have floated far beyond the shore than you had intended to go. Have you ever had that that experience? Sin works the same way. Think about examples like the Holocaust, right? For, For every person who is actively pursuing unspeakable evil, there were also those who were getting caught up in the charisma of a leader in Adolf Hitler. Or they were caught up in fear of what would happen if they stood up against what they knew was wrong and stood up instead for what was right. Right? This is why Jesus said in Matthew 10, he sent out the disciples with authority to to cast out demons and and the authority to heal those who are sick. And he gave them instructions, and, and one of those instructions were this. It said, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Now, who's the one who can destroy the soul and the body in hell? When you read that, you might think that's Satan. It's not Satan. It's God. God is the one who has that level of authority and control. And yet God uses that power not to condemn us, Not to condemn us, but to send his son to dwell among us. To die and to rise again in order to save us. And so the challenge that Paul gives us is don't give up ground that God has literally shed his own blood to conquer for you and for me. And what is that ground? It is vividly described in the next verses of the armor of God. Verse 14, stand firm then. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And we'll break these things down. They come from the prophet Isaiah describing Jesus, the coming Messiah. We'll start with the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness because naming truth in our world individually and truth as we see it outside of ourselves, it it borrows from the poem we read last week by Langston Hughes. It's identifying the worms that are eating away at the good fruit of life. And every time you name a truth, In the face of injustice, big or small, you are doing just that. And you're coming up against evil. Evil that exists on the surface, but also evil that exists under the surface. And and you know that because our knee-jerk reaction when truth is faced with us is, is usually we deny it if we're the ones who are guilty, right? And, and what came to my mind as I was thinking about this, there was this viral video that went around some years ago on YouTube. It was, it was of a child, a little, little boy, two or three years old. He had eaten a blue cupcake, and he was not supposed to eat a cupcake. And his father very calmly named the truth that he had eaten that cupcake by asking him the question, did you eat a cupcake? And this is the way that the little boy responded to the truth. Let's watch. Hey, Jack. Did did you eat a cupcake? No. You didn't eat a cupcake? No, I wasn't at home. You sure you didn't eat a cupcake? No. Hmm. I thought you maybe had a cupcake. No. No? No. Definitely not? No. Not like in the last couple minutes? No. No cupcake for Jack? No. Oh, okay. Now that's one way the child might respond. I have to say that as the older we get, the more sophisticated we tend to get. Now, you know, here's the truth. Just a moment of confession. Sometimes I eat cupcakes when I'm not supposed to, and my wife will ask me, "Did you eat the cupcake?" And I am a lot smarter than that little guy. I wipe my mouth when I'm done. <laughs> And so she asks me if I eat the cupcake. But you know what happens if I'm not careful the way I respond? It's not just, no, I didn't eat the cupcake. I'll say, no, I didn't eat the cupcake. I don't know what you're talking. Did you make cupcakes? I didn't smell I don't know what a cupcake is. Who's talking about a cupcake? (laughs) Do you think that I didn't eat the cupcake? (laughs) Does yelling and getting defensive... Make it any more believable that an injustice hasn't occurred? Of course not. The evidence is right there on your face in your response. Friends, this goes so much deeper than cupcakes. And the longer we perpetuate a lie, the more we we don't even realize that we're doing it. We live it. We believe what we're saying is true, which is why people wearing the armor of God need to be perceptive of the evidence all around us, the belt of truth calls us to name it when we see it in us and in those around us. And the reason is because naming it is the first step to disarming its power. Whether the evidence that we see is in plain sight or in an overblown reaction, people wearing the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness are wise to ask the question, is there more going on then meets the eye. Name the evidence so that God can do what only God can and begin to make us clean. And if we stop right there, then some of us might say, well, great! I'm going to go out into the world in the name of Jesus, and I'm going to bash that truth into the faces of all the sinners around me. But don't forget to put your shoes on before you go, okay? And these are the shoes that you're called to wear. Look at this, verse 15. With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of what? Peace. The gospel of peace. We don't fight the same way that the world fights. If the battles that we face in this world are of a different realm, then it makes sense, it's logical that we're going to have to use a different approach. The battleground is different. The weapons are different. But here's the hope. The outcome is different too. And isn't that what we're all looking for in this fractured world? Are we not looking for a different outcome. And so we need to do things differently when we're bringing truth before God in the world. This is why, it's, it's for example, it's never okay to say that the ends justify the means, not for the Christian. It's never okay to say that the ends justify the means, whether it's in our politics or in our wars or in our parenting or how honest we are in our taxes. If, if we think that we're fighting God's battles And yet we're using the same violence and dishonest tactics of the world. You have to ask yourself, who do I really trust? What power am I really drawing from? How am I really fighting? Theologian Walter Wink said it this way. He said, violent revolution fails because it's not revolutionary enough. It changes the rulers, but it doesn't change the rules, the ends but not the means. Friends, if you think that Jesus only came to change the end, that makes today hopeless. Jesus didn't just come to change the end, he came to change the means. He came to change all of it. The gospel has implications on the results as well as the journey that we take to get there. And none of it is possible without the last piece of armor. Verse 16, in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, I learned this for the first time as I was studying this week. Roman soldiers would often dip their shield, which was as big as they were, and sometimes carried by a shield bearer, right? And they would often dip it in water because the flaming arrows that were flying at them were literally flaming arrows. And I think about that and I think, man, guess what? In our baptism, we're dipped in water too, Our shield of faith is dipped not only in water, but in the spirit. And what that means is that from now until Jesus returns, nothing that comes against you can take you down. As Paul says in Romans chapter 8, and you've heard it a thousand times, I'm sure, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it is true. And if that is true... And the faith that we have been given has, tells us that it is that we can go out into the world with our shield of faith and use it not just to protect ourselves, but to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one once and for all. Because see, there's a difference between protection and extinguishing. If a flaming arrow comes at you, And it hits your dry shield and it bounces off. What happens? It hits something or someone else. It's still on fire. It's still causing destruction. As a baptized child of God, wearing the armor of God, you are not just called to protect yourself. You are called to be used as a spiritual extinguisher. Jesus calls you and I to to use our faith to extinguish, just as he extinguished the arrow of sin and death by dying on the cross for our sins. And you and I can follow his lead when we do the very last thing Paul calls us to do, and that is to take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And what does the Word of God say? What I was reminded of just yesterday as I was practicing my sermon was uh, years ago now. I was, uh, was a camp counselor when I was in college at Lutherdale Bible Camp right down the road from here. And we used to have these, these little songs and these little rhymes that we would teach the kids that were lots of fun to teach them about Jesus. And, and some of them were a little theologically questionable, like the one that I'm about to teach you right now, so just fair warning. Um, but it, it teaches about Satan, and so it's relevant. And I want to teach it to you, okay? So the 8 o'clock service, they were good participants. I trust you're going to be as well. You want to repeat after me, okay? And there's motions to it as well, all right? So so get comfortable. Make sure you're not too close to people next to you. It gets a little crazy, all right? Repeat after me. If I had a little light box to put my Jesus in, I would take him out and, you know, that's a little weird, right? And share him with a friend. And if I had... A little dark box to put the devil in, I'd take him out and smash his face and put him back again. You see why the kids like that one, right? You know how you smash the face of the devil? Love God and love others. Touch the untouchable, love the unlovable, wash the feet of those around you, serve, lose your life so that you can find it. Live in the fruit of the Spirit, which is to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control if there is a list of all of the weapons you need to extinguish every flaming arrow of the evil one it is right there and it is found in the call of paul in romans chapter 12 when he tells us do not let evil conquer you but conquer evil by doing good and that is our goal and that is our call And it is one that we do not need to do alone. God is with us. Put on the armor of God. Let's do that now as we begin in prayer. Lord God, we begin to put on the armor of God in prayer because the armor of God is armor that we cannot put on ourselves. It needs to be placed on us by you. We live in a world that that you have made to be good and beautiful and kind, to borrow the words of the title of the book, and yet there is a current. There are powers and principalities that, that can often be used for evil. The devil's evil schemes, the the flying, flaming arrows that come at us that we need your protection from. Some of us, it's individual failures to love, but for all of us, as we look out into our world, we cannot help but see that that current is powerful enough to pull entire nations groups of people away from God and into the dark abyss of sin, which is a failure to love. And so for us, it begins by reclaiming the ground that Jesus himself has claimed for us, the ground of love. When he looked at the disciples, when he looked at Peter who grabbed his sword and cut off the soldier's ear when he was being arrested, he said, put your sword away. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. We do not live by a physical sword. We live by the word of God as our sword. A word of God that Jesus himself said can be boiled down to loving God and loving others as we love ourselves.